This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Saika Choudhury, Executive Director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management and a Professor of Management here at Wharton. And just as a reminder, we're live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and the show replays a few times throughout the week. Our show focuses on how established companies can remain innovative and handle disruption challenges, and we bring in executives, industry experts, and academics as our guests to provide insights from their experience and their work with us. Now I'm thrilled to welcome Greg Isaacs, the Chief Marketing and Product Officer for the Branded Entertainment Network. That BEN is an advertising and marketing agency specializing in product placement that works with brands like Honda, Game Maker, Ubisoft, and Netflix. Before working at the Branded Entertainment Network, Greg worked at the NFL, AT&T, and eBay. Greg, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little, to get our listeners situated, what is the Branded Entertainment Network? Uh, what does it do for its clients? Yeah, so Ben is, like uh, we call it for short, uh, focuses on getting global brands uh, to connect with consumers through popular entertainment. So that could be streaming, TV, film, or social media influencers. And so think about it as the old-school business of product placement, which has been in existence for 100 years. But we add a 21st century model on top of that in terms of our technology, which enables a brand to target a particular audience. And once that brand gets integrated into content, uh, we measure the results. So next time you're watching a Netflix show, uh, an HBO show, something on broadcast, something on YouTube, Mm -hmm. and you see a product, uh, integrated, hopefully uh, authentically integrated, uh, chances are we had a big part in um, making that happen. Fascinating. So integration and authenticity are two things which are clearly very important to various audiences nowadays. And so presumably that's why you focus on that. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple trends we're, we're betting on. And if you think about your behavior, uh, your audience's behavior, I have two girls, I look at their behavior. <laughs> yes. There's a few things that are happening. I mean, the, the first is, uh, you know, c- consumers are no longer watching advertising at the same rate. And that's been going on for many, many years. The mo- most pronounced has been in the television business where consumers are either historically just skipping commercials because they've had DVRs or they've you know, been distracted with mobile phones, they've mm-hmm. gone to the bathroom, whatever it happens to be, or they're cutting the cord. So that's the first trend. Um, and the second trend is this, uh, you know, and I, I see this in my children, this massive adoption of uh, social media influencers and how important they are to uh, a particular millennial viewing audience in terms of the content that they create. And so with those two trends, what Ben is looking to do is working with uh, some amazing innovative brands and helping them authentically integrate into that content. And why authenticity is so important to your question is that the more natural it seems, the better the results will be in terms of the KPIs that a brand cares about. And so if a consumer feels like they're being sold to, 
Typically, the results don't work. If a consumer feels like, oh, you know, I'm seeing a product on TV, this consumer is using a Microsoft Surface, or there's a Cadillac integrated into a particular scene, those are two of our clients, then they're going to feel, oh, okay, you know, Cadillac and Microsoft are amazing brands. This feels real. And at the end of the day, the brand's going to hopefully garner the benefits of that. I love that. We've seen that in movies um, for, I guess, decades, but it always came across as a little artificial. And that's why I wanted to ask you this question. I agree with you. I mean, the more authentically you can place them, the more natural these things seem. Where you talk, you start talking about trends. So one set of trends has to do with clearly the technologies that are being used. And you mentioned social media and digital technology. Clearly, that plays a role that also allows you to measure all these things. Another area is in terms of the behavior of the consumers. So how is easy is it to innovate when it comes to your offerings and your models and your technologies and the services in a world which is changing so quickly? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the most uh, innovative things that we did that I'm particularly proud of is when we would be meeting with clients and we would say to them, uh, for example, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu have large audiences. They uh, are gr- creating these great production that everyone is watching. The questions we would get from brands would be, we believe you, but how big are these audiences um, overall for each particular show? How big are those shows? What is the demographic makeup of those individuals that are watching those shows? Uh, what are the psychographic makeup, meaning what do they like to do? What are their interests? Uh, we've heard about this thing called binging. What mm-hmm. is that? How often does it happen? And then finally, uh, what does binging mean to uh, my brand, my KPIs? And we would say these are amazing questions. We don't have any answers. And uh, the reality was that you know Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, um, for a variety of reasons, don't release their data. They're not in the ad-based business, so you know it's not important to them. So what we needed to do is we need to uh, be um, to innovate. And so typically, if you wanted to find out about uh, viewership and audience behaviors and makeups, you would leverage a, a partner like Nielsen. Uh, historically, they hadn't tracked that data either. Mm-hmm. So we effectively stood up about a year and a half ago our own insights program. Um, and uh, actually, if I can give a plug, a Wharton graduate, Aaron Frank, runs that uh, program <laughs> Thank you. For, for Ben. Yeah. And so uh, what was really interesting is that we needed to create our own panels, so we needed to go out and do this quick and dirty. We needed to go out into the general Internet population and find out what shows in general consumers are watching on these streaming services, um, what is the makeup, the demographic makeup, what is the psychographic information. So, for example, to a company like GM, they would like to know uh, of everyone who's watching shows on streaming, which shows over index for um, who are going to be purchasing cars in the next three months, for example. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to create this all ourselves, and we did that, and it's been a huge boon to our business because it makes our clients informed, it makes them smarter, uh, it allows us to better match a brand uh, with content to make sure they're targeting the right audience. Mm-hmm. And it's something when I started this company at, at Ben, when I started at Ben three years ago, we hadn't thought of. So that was an example where we needed to innovate ahead of the market. And now as we see uh, other companies like Nielsen starting to do this tracking behavior, um, the good news is we can adopt those services that it makes sense. But it was really one of these things that was a barrier to us scaling. And mm-hmm. once we were able to solve that, 
uh, it's been very beneficial for our clients and for us. So how were you able to solve that? How were you able to come up with this innovation? It, it doesn't sound like an easy thing because, you know, things have been done in, in the industry for a certain number of years in a particular way. And then you guys come in and say, hey, we can change that. You know, Nielsen certainly is an established name in the industry. How do you guys do something like that? Well, on the, so on the data, data side, um, what we did was is we basically used a third-party tool. Uh, it's called Servada. It's like a survey monkey. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing with a tool like that, you can get access to a very large population of individuals. And once you have access to those individuals, you can start asking them questions. So, for example, you can ask things like, do you watch streaming shows? If they answer yes, what shows do you watch? Mm-hmm. How frequently do you watch them? So you can understand binging. And you can understand questions like, are you a, um, an IT decision maker? So that would be important for our IT clients who want to get in front of the IT purchase decision makers. And so we've been doing that for a year and a half. Once you get all that data, yeah. and so now it becomes a data exercise where it starts to live in our technology platform. So now every single piece of content, and we define content as a TV show, whether it's on streaming or broadcast, um, a film, a social media influencer, now gets tagged with all this rich data. So a brand can go into our platform and say, I'm looking to target a male 25 to 34 who's looking to uh, purchase a car in the next three months, uh, who, um, uh, you know, who, but the brand may say, I really like content that is um, focused on, let's say, dramas, Mm -hmm. for example, and I have a product launching in Q4 of 2018. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And with all that information, we then can say to a brand, here are the 50 different content opportunities across TV, streaming, film, and social media influencer. Who are the partners you would like to work with? And then we work with those particular content creators uh, to figure out how do we get those brands authentically placed in the production. So on the one hand, the technology and the data has been hugely helpful. The other thing we're trying to do here and why this is so important is we're really trying to create a cultural mind shift in, um, in the brand marketers, um, you know, headspace because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, TVs work for them very well for a long time. Digital continues to work for them very well. We want to be advertising's next frontier. We want to be the third leg, if you will, of the uh, advertising ecosystem. And to do that, you need to have, uh, you know, you need to be able to focus on the left brain and right brain of marketers. You need to be able to give them the data that they need to feel like there's going to be a positive ROI, but you often have to appeal to the more creative side. And, and this is where the authenticity and the connectivity we have with producers is so important because at the end of the day, they are storytellers, these, these marketers. And so they want to make sure that their brand is being um, not only held up in the best possible light, but the story is being appropriately told. What I love about what you just said is uh, two particular things. One is that you guys are not shy to leverage external tools when you need it. Nobody can come up with these things necessarily on their own. And the second is this idea of a mindset shift. Uh, I think that's very, very powerful. You know, that's really what what it's about. For those listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Saika Chaudhary, and I'm speaking with Craig Isaacs, the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Product Officer for the Branded Entertainment Network, also known as Ben. So um, a lot of insights there, and data clearly is enabling a lot of things. One thing I wanted to touch upon is you still mentioned something which seemed to me like a survey model, be it uh, on the internet. Is there a way to, to to directly capture the data that you're looking for, or will the actual um, 
you know, content producers are the ones who have that data, not share it with you? Yeah, there's there's two sides of the of the model. Uh, the one side is, I would say, what we call the traditional side. So this is the uh, TV streaming and film side. Uh, yeah. And uh, in some cases, we'll leverage a tool like Nielsen. Uh, has been a great partner to get uh, industry insights or an accepted currency, so no sense in reinventing the wheel. In other cases, uh, because there likely isn't the incentive, we have to come up with our own solution. So Netflix and others, um, clearly they're in building amazing businesses through great content. And so if they do release data broadly yeah. available, we'll be the first ones to embrace it. Um, but at the end of the day, we needed to fill a, a gap in uh, our offering. So we'll continue to, to do that ourselves or leverage other parties like Nielsen. On the influencer side, it's a bit easier because mm-hmm. you have uh, publicly available uh, APIs usually in the case mm-hmm. of YouTube and others. But then we also work with our influencers to authenticate, meaning that they will log into our platform. And once they've done that, they've given us the ability to pull data based on their uh, channels. And so what we start to do then is we actually pull the demographic information, all the metric around views and click-through rates and referring URLs and all the things that are extremely important. So those basically get sucked into our platform and then displayed to the actual brand advertiser. So in that case, it's a bit easier once an influencer authenticates with us because they've basically given us permission to share the data with the clients that they're working uh, with. Yeah, and you identify really what are the challenges of being in an ecosystem. On the one hand, collaboration is in order. On the other hand, there's also an element of, well, everybody needs to make money and appropriate the value that's being created. And so delicately balancing it, kind of like you described, is really, really important. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, and I saw this firsthand uh, earlier in my career at eBay where – eBay was a marketplace and still is a marketplace, and um, my job there was to run our platform team. So this is basically making uh, our APIs, you know, uh, access to our platform available to third-party developers. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, as managing the ecosystem, we need to make sure that there was guidelines followed, what we call trust and safety, and we protected the community. Yeah. On the other hand, we had some very uh, scrappy entrepreneurs that wanted to push the envelope. And so we need to, you know, we needed to walk a fine line because on the one hand, we wanted them to push the envelope because they took us in directions that uh, we didn't expect. In a lot of cases, it was good, good directions. But we also needed to manage them to make sure that they didn't take us in directions that um, were against our, our very principles. And I think you saw a great example of that with Facebook and their developer community and some of the challenges that they had more recently. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely it's a it's a double edged sword. I I think there's a there's much more goodness and there is uh, you know potential downside. But you, you have to have your eyes on it because when you have a um, a scrappy entrepreneur, um, you know, again, they can they can do things that work for them, but may not work for the broader ecosystem and community. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to touch upon is, you know, follows the theme of what you've been talking about, that every company really needs to adapt to changing times. So I briefly wanted to touch upon your own transformation as a company, because there have been shifts in strategy and also in name from interactive home systems to Corbis and then now Ben. And I know that you weren't there during the entire time of that transition, but um, just in general, what were sort of the motivations um, of having that evolution and adapting to changing times? Because clearly you've been able to do it very successfully as a firm. And how has the industry changed over time? Was that the precipitator? 
Yeah, and I could certainly speak to the probably the last four to five years I was here for three of them. And so, uh, you know, is that stepping back, Bill Gates has owned the company. Um, certainly, that when I was here, it was called Corbis, and now called Ben. Uh, for close to 30 years, so he's been the you know the very patient steward of what we've been trying to do. But yeah. Corbis was uh, in the image licensing business, and um, they were among many competitors. Getty being the biggest, and the industry was changing dramatically. Subscription models were were coming in, uh, price per images were going down dramatically, and so if you think about a business that had been impacted by technology and by changing times, you think of music. The other one that comes to mind is the imaging business. And so Corbis had the largest archive of images, uh, but the business was going through massive disruption. And I really give credit to our C, uh, our chairman now, he was our CEO, Gary Schenk, and the Wharton grad as well, yeah. for seeing what was happening in the general content space, carving out a really interesting opportunity to do integrations, not only with film and TV and streaming, but also mm-hmm. with social media influencer. Uh, and at the end of the day, it, it, it took a tremendous amount of foresight and strategy and vision to say, look, this business we're in right now, this imaging business is certainly going through you know, massive declines. It's a business that, frankly, there may not be any winners, but certainly if you're not the biggest, you're going to have a tough time to ultimately sell that business, which uh, we did a few years ago to VCG out of China, mm-hmm. and then ultimately put all the bets behind this integration business, uh, which again, is, looks like uh, certainly it's early days, um, but uh, that bet has paid off. Yeah, I, I like a few things that you're talking about. They really resonate, and I want to underscore them. One is that companies can survive in the long run, but it's important, like you said, to keep on adapting and evolving and transforming in order to be able to do so. And, and clearly, taking some decisions, which are very fundamental, like changing your strategy, your organization, business model, even a name, might be essential to actually achieve those transformations. So I think that's uh, that's really you know quite a bit of foresight and um, courage to be able to do something, especially when it works really well. You touched upon something I was going to ask you about as well. You know, not that many people may know outside of the industry that your firm was founded by Bill Gates, um, and you know we know him from from Microsoft. And I, I guess he had a specific interest in mind with images, say, that are captured and that he could use. But there's more to it, right, that that Bill Gates thought. Um, do you have any links to Microsoft, given the common ownership? Or is there any maybe insight or influence that uh, Bill Gates exerts in a positive way on your company? Yeah, Bill's the 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 owner of the company, and so uh, going to your first question, uh, Microsoft is a client, but unrelated to um, actually Bill is actually they were a client of one of the companies that we acquired many years ago. But they've been one of the most innovative, uh, you know, data driven, smart clients, um, yeah, in the business. And so there's a. Uh, a, a woman out of there, uh, Jordan Passion, who's done an amazing job for Microsoft and integration. Um, so they've been a great client, uh, unrelated to the Bill's uh, involvement. Um, but so effectively, yeah, I mean, Bill's been a wonderful steward for us. I think we, we meet with him three or four times a year, talk to him about our strategy. And it really is quite amazing in terms of just his ability to uh, see things uh, very clearly, ask the right questions, give great guidance, but ultimately also give 
uh, a lot of freedom to the team to execute. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about results. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's uh, not commonly known is that content is king, I believe was penned by Bill probably 20 to 25 years ago. Yeah. So at the end of the day, this is really what we're doing at Ben here is really about a content play. Certainly, there's the ability to advertise and the monetization that comes with that. But it's really, again, at the end of the day, how important uh, and powerful content is to society. Mm-hmm. And so we're just uh, one part of that. So I think if there's a common thread, it's that content is, 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 is not even king anymore. It's probably King Kong. And, <laughs> yeah. and at the end of the day, we're just, you know, we're, uh, we believe we'll, we're a small part of that ecosystem today, but in the future we'll be an even bigger one. Can you foresee any further consolidation in the industry or any more acquisitions since uh, you've seen this happen before? Yeah, I think if anything, when the media space overall and the advertising space, consolidation will continue. Uh, you know, you've, you'll probably continue to see quite a bit of that on the agency side. Uh, you know, we don't consider ourselves uh, an agency as much as a, you know, an entertainment marketing company. We, we're very focused on uh, technology and being smart there. But from the agency model, the, whether it's a global holding company or some smaller agency, I think you'll continue to see uh, a lot of M&A activity. Uh, I, I suspect you'll continue to see a lot of M&A activity as well, uh, as we've seen with, um, you know, with Disney and Fox or Comcast, depending on who the winner is. So more consolidation yeah. in that particular industry. Um, and ultimately, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the big players who are all getting into the content game. They may want to acquire uh, particular niche players. Like uh, it's hard to think of Twitch being a niche player given they got acquired for a billion dollars. <laughs> but yeah. those particular niches, and it could be particular content verticals. So I don't see that pace slowing down at all. Yeah. Uh, I am intrigued on in particular to see what's going to happen on the, um, the film side of the business and exhibitor side uh, and what happens with that in terms of, uh, consolidation with not only the content creators but also the exhibitors as well. So it's going to be fascinating. I would, uh, I would, I should one day I should write down the next few days what's going to happen in the next two years and probably see how wrong or right I'll be. <laughs> definitely, I don't see it slowing down. It's a good exercise. No, that's uh, that's what we're seeing right now, and and the way the industry looks could look very different uh, over the years to come as well. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your prior experience as well, because before joining Ben, you also spent some time on the digital media team at the NFL. And I wonder, what are some of the perhaps insights that you could transfer over and bring to Ben, or was it a totally different experience? Yeah, and the NFL was a great experience. Uh, I certainly appreciated the value of a well-known brand and consumer passion. Um, So for me, that was something that uh, I I probably didn't fully realize, although I've been a football fan for such a long time. But (laughs) it's a wonderful playing ground when you have people who are passionate because they'll give you feedback on your product uh, and the experience right away. And, you know, you have to have a thick skin because in in a lot of cases it may not be what you want to hear, but you have to be able to embrace it. So I think for me, just the volume of feedback that you would get um, in terms of whether it's on, you know, comments on the boards or social media uh, was was hugely helpful. And and where I think early in my career, I I probably didn't have as thick a skin after the NFL. I realized that you should cherish that opportunity to have Mm -hmm. a big audience to give you that feedback. So that was the first thing. And I think the second thing is um, really being able to uh, 
uh, it, it's extremely important in any organization um, to be able to make sure you have the right culture and to have that culture focus on um, innovation. And I think at the NFL, I was fortunate enough to be be there at a time when we were investing in uh, first being a lot smarter uh, and more aggressive of how we marketed our products. And so the products that I was responsible for were fantasy football, uh, which is a huge um, driver of not only revenue, but also just fan engagement. And Mm -hmm. then we had a product called Game Pass, which is a global streaming product. And so we had the ability um, to, I think, do some really smart things in terms of not only understanding the lifetime value of the customers for those two types of products, which are very different in terms of their business model, but using that lifetime value to be very smart in terms of how we acquired users and ultimately retain them. And, you know, one of the guys I wanted to credit was a gentleman by the name of A.L. Gutentag, who was uh, working with me on the marketing side. He's actually now the CMO at ZipRecruiter, and you probably hear their ads or mm-hmm. see their ads uh, across the TV and uh, on radio. But at the end of the day, we got we got much smarter uh, in terms of how we acquired and retained users and why that's important. The NFL is a very much show-me metrics-driven culture. Mm-hmm. And by having that analysis and data, we were able to say, look, we spent this amount of money. We drove this amount of revenue. Next year, we need this amount of money to do more. And you build credibility that way. So I learned a tremendous amount about that. I also learned a tremendous amount of, about uh, you know, an organization. You have to figure out what their sweet spots are. Yeah. And in terms of the NFL, amazing in terms of uh, their ability to license uh, content, some of the best deal makers in the industry, they, they, they needed to develop a, uh, a muscle, a much stronger muscle in terms of product development. Yeah. And so I was there at a really great time when we started to invest more in our capabilities uh, in terms of products. We ended up insourcing NFL Mobile. Um, but ultimately, it's one of those interesting things that uh, – being at a culture, you have to find out what the sweet spot of that culture is, and then ideally ride into it, if you will, as opposed to uh, fighting against it. Very, very fascinating insights. I like two things that you said in particular. One is the mention of culture, because that's very important. The other is passion. And I can tell you, especially as concerns the NFL, we're all feeling a lot of passion here in Philadelphia now, given that the Eagles won. I took <laughs> Thank you. I was in the parade. <laughs> and fan that hurts. <laughs> I have to rub in, in a little bit. Yes, of course. And uh, I did enjoy the parade and the draft before that as well to get a little bit of that. But now I know more about what's behind that, besides, of course, everything that's going on at Ben. Greg, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, where can we keep following what you're working on? I think the best thing to do is to follow uh, Ben on LinkedIn and mm-hmm. you can find us there, uh, as well as on uh, certainly Facebook and now Instagram and uh, me personally on LinkedIn. So it was a pleasure to be on the, the show, and you're doing great work. And uh, again, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.